Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey. I'm your host for the show. Start of the things off, let's just get this out of the way. Please do like, comment, subscribe, rate, favorite, share. Sharing is really kind of the most important thing you can do. If you're listening to this, you've probably already got the show subscribed on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, so if you could give us a rating if that's relevant, a thumbs up if that's relevant. And really, again, the big thing is just share the show. Let other people know that we're here if you think they'd enjoy it. Uh, that That's really the only way we're going to start kind of growing this is if you guys are able to help out. Let everyone know what's up. Point them in our direction. Give me a chance to win them over as far as that goes. And so, thank you in advance for all of that. Uh, much appreciated. On the show this evening, last night, UFC 262. That's a card, man. We got some stuff to talk about. We got some stuff. Oof. Also, a preview of next week, UFC on ESPN Plus 46. Really good main event. Hopefully that holds up. When former bantamweight champion Cody Garbrandt meets Rob Font. Well, again, we'll get a little bit more into detail on that. Then some news of the week, such as it was. Not a whole lot. We got some matchmaking. We got some... Uh, <laughs> a few more things to throw at the UFC, I suppose, if you're so inclined. Uh, but we'll get to all of that when we get to it. All right. Let's jump right in to UFC 262. Your main event. Oh, boy. Uh, Charles Oliveira defeats Michael Chandler to win the vacant UFC lightweight title at 19 seconds of the second round. Is it 19? da da Pretty sure it was. Yeah, yeah, 19. Um, yeah, I I said last week in my preview, I wouldn't be shocked if either man won. Wouldn't be shocked if either man won either way. You know, via stoppage or uh, via strikes or submissions. I said I'd be a little surprised if we got a back and forth kind of war. We didn't get a war. It's only, you know, a, it's not even a six minute fight. Uh, but, and to be clear, this also wasn't, you know, Hagler Hearns for six minutes. But we did get something I didn't expect. Charles Oliveira, for the first time in his career, as far as I can recall, overcame adversity. Uh, heck of a time to prove you can do it, just for the record. Uh, first round. Both men have a little bit of success early. Some decent calf kicks from Oliveira. Chandler finds him with a couple of punches. Oliveira gets a takedown. Chandler sells out for a guillotine. Doesn't get it. Uh, Oliveira gets the back. Chandler eventually, with a, an appropriate mixture of technique and freak strength and athleticism, reverses, gets on top, lands some ground and pound, lets him up, hits him really hard along the fence line. Like, there were a couple of moments when it looked things looked really dire for Oliveira. Like, not please stop the fight dire, but Oliveira did enough and enough smart things defensively to you know, negate even the discussion around, well, maybe they should have stopped it. But it got closer than I think you'd like. Uh, and Chandler punched him down, was standing over him while Oliveira's on his knees, landing some nasty right hands. 
Uh, Oliveira doing enough defensively, goes to his back. Chandler goes into his guard, lands some solid ground and pound. Uh, but Oliveira survives. We start the second round. Chandler just gets caught in space, taking too many pictures, as the saying goes. And a really just lovely left hook from Oliveira sits him down, chases him to the fence line, keeps unloading, lands more as Chandler tries to escape. Chandler drops. We're done. Uh, again, I really can't stress this. Uh, one of the big knocks on Oliveira... Chandler phrased it as he doesn't deal well with pressure. That's not really my read on it, as far as that goes. Um, it was more adversity, and pressure does not necessarily equate to adversity. But if we look back at Charles Oliveira's uh, career, uh, wins and losses, there's not a, usually, usually, up to this point, when the going got tough uh he struggled now some of that was maybe him being earlier in his career and not having matured enough as a fighter some of that was the amount of time he spent at featherweight where the the book on him at featherweight was pretty clear you're gonna have a rough first round but if you can survive it he's soft to the body and he will start making very bad decisions the more the more it kind of adds up. I mean, he lost Anthony Pettis anyway in the third via guillotine. He got dropped hard by Pettis in that fight a few different times. Uh, body kicks in particular just folded him up. Uh, so Now, the book on him at featherweight, not quite the same as him at lightweight. Uh, that much is clear. But even at lightweight, you know, he's always been kind of a front runner. He needs to get in front of you, and if he winds up behind, he struggles to make up that distance. Uh, and I thought after the first round, you know, Chandler seemed to have, again, not without his, not without perils. He gave up his back for a period of time, and giving up your back to Charles Oliveira is, yeah. I mean, not too many people do that and survive. He did. Then got on top and you know, proceeded to rain down some damage. But I, I just, I had never really seen him be in that spot and then turn it around. And this time he did. And biggest spot you could have possibly chosen to debut that particular skill set. Uh, just, uh, uh, you know, he is the rightful lightweight champion. I... I still don't think he's the best lightweight in the world. Let me be very clear about how I phrase this. Um, the best doesn't always win. This is true in boxing. Uh, you know, pick your best couple of boxers in the world, whatever your pound-for-pound -pound rankings happen to be. There's probably a loss. Now, boxing, boxing fighters, especially boxing champions at the highest level, do not have records that look like MMA fighters. Uh, Oliveira's record after this is 31, eight, 31 and 8 with one no contest. Now, in MMA, that's a very respectable record, especially considering his tenure in the UFC, and I do want to get into that in just a second. In boxing, that's, uh, that's not much. That is not much. But, again, you know, the sports are different. 
But you know, even the best boxers have a loss or two. You know, Canelo's got a loss. Lomachenko's got a couple of losses at this point. Jeez, uh, what's he going to put in there? I think Bud Crawford might be undefeated at the moment, but he also might have, you know, one. Now, that's... It's less common in boxing because boxing is so refined. Everything in boxing is honed to a razor's edge. Every little skill. Every little one. So... When you're doing, every little thing matters more, but it's a lot easier for the people who are the very best to properly mitigate risk. Uh, it, but in every sport, the best lose. You know, look at you know, wrestling, uh, be it at the Olympics or just at the international level generally. There's very rarely someone who's head and shoulders above the pack. And even then, there's usually a loss or two here sprinkled throughout. You know, Olympic gold medalists will have international records that have a loss or two. But much like boxing, wrestling is very, very refined. It's a little bit more chaotic, but it's still refined. The more variables you add, the less likely it is uh, for someone to remain undefeated. You know, I mean, much as I could go to MMA because MMA is an exponentially complex system, if you want to go the most complicated system for sports that you have, I tend to think it's football, American football. Look at the number of players and look at all the variables. They're absurd. Not only who is good enough where, uh, you know, are we playing indoors or outdoors? And what's the weather like? How's your second string? How's your, you know, how's your backup players at various positions in case someone gets hurt? How does your how does your particular defensive scheme match up? Do you, you know, what do you favor versus what do they favor? Down to the individual matchups. How is how does your does your offensive line match up against their defensive line? There's just too much. There's too many variables. Inevitably, if you follow American football, I'm not a huge follower, but I do follow. The best teams lose. I can't remember the last time. Sorry, let me, let me rephrase. In the history of the Super Bowl, I think the only, I, I want to say less than five, uh, less, I want to say less than five, maybe only like two times, has a football team gone undefeated in the regular season, then won the postseason games and then the Super Bowl. It doesn't happen very often. It's an almost impossibly difficult task. There's just so much chaos. There's so much chaos. There's so much uncontrolled variables. And again, MMA is different in that it's an individual sport. But there's, but it is an exponent. Again, it's not infinitely complex, but it's an e exponentially complex uh, system to try and figure out. So you get guys with greater records. And that's what makes long-term success in MMA so impressive. Uh, ridiculously impressive. Because you, you're you trying to control for all these variables. And even then, the best lose. You know, I mean, even think about John Jones. Uh, okay, so the only guy to escape unscathed just thus far. And have a career that succeeded at the highest level is Khabib. Even Khabib 
if you remember, his second fight in the UFC is way back. Was a very significant step up in competition for him against Gleason Tebow, right around the time Tebow was having one of his better runs. And I've become more sympathetic to scoring that fight for Khabib the more I watch it. Watching that live, I scored it for Tebow. Uh, and again, I have no, I take no issue with scoring it for Khabib. But that was that was dicey, man. That was a dicey fight for him. You know, John Jones, maybe the greatest ever. There's a loss there. It's a DQ loss, but that goes, but that actually just goes to the point. You can lose by DQ. Uh, you have to allow for that. You know, there, there's just, there's just so much. Uh, I want to talk for Charles Oliveira just a minute about Charles Oliveira. I, Charles Oliveira secured a couple of things here in this fight. One, he surpassed Donald Cerrone for most finishes in UFC history. There's nothing to, nothing to sneeze at. He's still got the most submissions in UFC history. He also surpassed Michael Bisbing in a fairly niche category. The most amount of UFC fights before your first title win. It took that man 28 fights in the UFC over something like 10 years and 9 months. He debuted for the UFC in August 1st of 2010. On a card, again, talking 2010, that featured a young up-and-coming prospect destroyer at light heavyweight by the name of John Jones taking on a grizzled veteran, grizzled and respected veteran in Vladimir Matyushenko. John blew the doors off of him in there in the first round of that fight. It was like a UFC on versus event. He submitted Darren Elkins in like 41 seconds in that fight. But almost 11 years, again, closer to 11 than 10. We're talking 10 years and, again, like nine months-ish. That's a long time. That is a long time. And he's been in the UFC for that whole period of time. That might be the most... Charles Oliveira's career in the UFC has been trench warfare. (laughs) For those of you who may not necessarily be as familiar with the term, trench warfare was brutal. It was almost pointless. It was letting artillery... It was the grindiest, grittiest, ugliest, dirtiest form of warfare. It was dig in and just kind of hammer each other with artillery and occasionally charges and it was it was just a slog that is the that that was a slog of uh that's a slog of a strategy in military conflict there's a reason it's not as prevalent anymore mostly due to technological advances uh, trench warfare on this i mean the biggest example of the one that i'm sure everyone remembers is world war 1 where there was just a line of trenches essentially across the European continent from you know, the north of from the north of France to the south of France, uh, just brutal fighting. Charles Oliveira's path to the UFC title has been trench warfare. Just let's go through his career in the UFC for just a second. Again, submits Darren Elkins, 41 seconds. 
Fights Efrain Escudero a month later, give or take. Submits him in the third round with a rear naked choke, standing. Uh, and Escudero was supposed to be a big deal. Remember when people thought that? Foolish people. Gets a step up to Jim Miller. Now, this is 2010 Jim Miller. Who's maybe not quite guy who should have fought for a title Jim Miller, but isn't too far off of it. And Jim Miller submits him with a knee bar in minute and 59 seconds. He fights Nick Lentz. He originally gets a win, but landed in a legal knee. That gets overturned. He steps up to Donald Cerrone. And Cowboy in 2011, being Cowboy in 2011, puts a beating on him. Stops him three minutes into the first. He drops to featherweight, which was an odd move then and remains an odd move. Uh, submits Eric Wisely, submits Jonathan Brook, and steps up to Cub Swanson and gets knocked out 240 of the first. Uh, delayed reaction knockout. I vividly remember this. He almost flare flops. He takes a left hook from Cub, takes a half a step, and then, yeah, whop. Steps up to Frankie Edgar. He went from Cub Swanson to Frankie Edgar in 2013. I actually picked, I remember this, I picked Oliveira to beat Frankie Edgar. I thought Frankie, I thought the years and miles were catching up to Frankie Edgar. Eight years later, boy, don't I look stupid, right? <laughs> but, you know, Edgar at the time was on a bit of a skid. He lost a couple of fights to Aldo. He had another loss, I want to say, around that same time. Um, yeah, that was right after he had the two losses to Benson Henderson and then the loss to Jose Aldo. So, Edgar on a three-fight losing streak in 2013. I kind of felt okay leaning towards Oliveira. Again, they both fought in 2021, so I was clearly very mistaken. Uh, but he loses. Unanimous decision. Not even close. Goes on a four-fight winning streak. Andy Ogle, Hatsu Hiyoki. Submitting Hatsu Hiyoki was a big deal. Uh, Jeremy Stevens, Nick Lentz. Uh, submits Lentz. This is somewhat marred along the way he misses weight for the Stevens fight. Then he's you know, four-fight winning streak, steps up in 2015, another step up in competition to another young rising contender by the name of Max Holloway. The fight ends after a little, after about 100 seconds. Max, uh, the, Max landed a pretty good combination, but there was it, it aggravated some neck injury in Oliveira. Uh, real shame. I was so looking forward to that fight. And it ended so, unfortunately. Uh, he rebounds, beats Miles Jury, chokes him out. But he missed weight here. He weighed 150 pounds for that fight. Uh, fights Anthony Pettis after that. Loses. Uh, pretty good back and forth fight. He had a fair amount of success early. Second round, Pettis comes back again, folds him up with some body kicks, nearly finishes him. Third round, puts more pressure on him. Bad shot from Oliveira, gets caught in a guillotine, taps. Moves up to uh, fights Ricardo Lamas after that and misses weight horribly. He weighed 155 for that featherweight fight. Literally made championship weight at lightweight to fight at featherweight. And he loses again. Again, has a decent enough first round, but he couldn't maintain a pace at featherweight and he wasn't as durable. Lamas guillotines him in the second. Moves back up to lightweight. Submits Will Brooks, former Bellator lightweight champion, much like Michael Chandler. Fights Paul Felder right after that and Felder overcomes a few tough spots in the first, and then just elbows him into oblivion from the guard in the second. Since then, the man hasn't lost and has only gone the distance once. Since then, submits Clay Guida, submits Christos Yago, submits Jim Miller, 
submits David Tamer, TKO's Nick Lentz. Don't know why they made that fight. Knocks out Jared Gordon. And that's a good-ish run. But there's a lot of guys who are either way past their prime or just aren't, or, or you know, kind of either new in their career or just aren't there yet. So he steps up to Kevin Lee. And he submits him in the third round. Gets Tony Ferguson after that and darn near breaks his arm. But he wins. Gets a title shot here and stops Michael Chandler in the second. That is a... That's what, nine fights in a row now, I think? Let me count this real fast. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, nine. He has the longest active winning streak at lightweight, by the way. Um... (laughs) Think about that career for just a second. Almost 11 years. 28 fights in the UFC. And he finally puts it all together. And he finally is able to get to the mountaintop. You don't get stories like that all that often. It's not that they never happen. And some guys do kind of mature along the way in the UFC. But that long a period of time, across those two divisions... I mean, lightweight and featherweight are... Lightweight might be the best division in the whole sport. Then, usually I think bantamweight is above featherweight, but featherweight's not that far... Like, lightweight and... Lightweight and uh, bantamweight are kind of like 1A and 1B. Or 1 and 1A, depending on how you want to rank them. Featherweight's not that far off. That man, more than anyone... I mean, look, again, the obvious comparison is Michael Chan- uh, Michael Chandler, Michael Bisbing. I don't think even Bisbing was ever in the trenches quite the way Oliveira was. Bisbing's always been a bit of a promotional darling. Uh, and it, don't get me wrong, he had some fights that were just kind of there. But he was always, he was always kind of well positioned. Uh, and... To be fair, and this also needs to be acknowledged, the majority of his run at middleweight, he w- middleweight was not a deep division. There was talent, but it wasn't deep. Oliveira went through and just ground his career through one of the again, two of the best divisions in the entire sport, winning way more than losing. Uh, it's it's a heck of a thing. I don't know how long he will be champion. I don't know who he fights next. There is an embarrassment of riches at lightweight. I'm going to talk a little bit about Michael Chandler here, too. Chandler looked good. I mean, gave up his back and didn't get submitted. Didn't even get close. Oliveira never got... Think about that for just one second. Submission wizard, Charles Oliveira, never really got close to getting a choke on Michael Chandler. It it was just never all that close. Uh, and then you know, put some hammers onto him, man. Just you know, Chandler's Chandler's the very, very real. He's a very, very legitimate fighter. I uh, there's a little bit of discussion about maybe him and Justin Gaethje's the fight to make. And I mean, who could possibly object to that fight? There, there's no way to go wrong with the top of lightweight. That's right. Yeah, you hear my dog. She agrees with me. Lightweight. Best division, right, Abby? Yeah? No, now you don't want to talk? All right. It's... 
again, there's no way to go wrong. You've got Gaethje kind of hanging out, and I tend to think Gaethje and Chandler might be what's next. You've got Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor set to fight at welterweight, but let's be real. We all know the deal there. That That's a, that's a couple of lightweights moonlighting up. I... I still think Dustin Poirier is the best lightweight in the world. Uh, I I would favor him over Oliveira, but slightly. I mean, again, it's the top of lightweight. If you favor anyone heavily in the top five over somebody else, you're you're not paying attention. <laughs> that is, any of those guys can beat any of them. I, well. I, I'm going to talk a little bit about this when I talk about Benil Daryush in a second, but uh, I would I would love to see that. Assuming Poirier beats McGregor, and I tend to think he will, give him a title shot, and quite again, quite frankly, I like his odds. I Not to diminish Charles Oliveira, but Oliveira struggles a little bit with power punchers. Even if he's able to persevere, he has struggled with them. And Dustin Poirier can thump. The southpaw versus orthodox dynamic, I think, throws Oliveira off a little bit. Again, not not a guarantee, but I I think it messes with some of his weapons a little bit. Now, again, maybe he can overcome that. Wouldn't shock me, but I think it's something to pay attention to. It's It's a heck of a fight. It's a heck of a fight. Um, who else do you... You've, uh, again, there's, there's just no wrong way to go. Uh, so I don't know how long Oliveira will hold the belt. He might be one and done. I'm just going to throw this out there. He might be one and done. If he is, that should not at all detract from what he's been able to accomplish. Not one iota. We're talking about, again, maybe the best division in the whole sport. And that man, over almost 11 years of dedication, of perseverance, and of violence, climbed to the top of it. Uh, take your hat off. Again, is he the best lightweight in the world? My my inclination right now is no. But again, even if he is, the best lose. And even if he's not, he can beat the best. So, be on the lookout for that. Again, I kind of touched on Chandler a little bit, so let's... Move on to the second point here, the co-main event, which I, I want to talk a little bit about in a different way. Um, Benil Daryush defeats Tony Ferguson via wide unanimous decision, 30-27 on all three scorecards. Only the first round of this was kind of what I expected. Uh, the, the next two rounds a little bit safer from Daryush, which I don't... You're fighting a buzzsaw like Tony Ferguson. If you have find a way to beat him safely, you do it. And there will be no judgment from me, and there should be no judgment from anyone else. First round, again, we get a little bit of the savagery. But Darius gets a takedown in the first round. And it becomes fairly clear that he's the better grappler. And that just kind of plays out the longer the fight goes. Um, the important thing, second round. Good grief. In the second round... They wind up on the mat, they scramble a little bit, they wind up in 50-50, and Daryush gets an inside heel hook on Tony Ferguson's left leg. And he cranks that sucker. And you can see, visibly, 
Tony Ferguson grimace in pain. If he had uttered a... This is one of those things about uh, how a fight can end. If you scream in pain, that's a verbal submission. That, that's one of the things that's in the rules. The refs are taught that. So if you get an armbar and you don't want to tap, but it breaks and you scream, ah, then the ref, like, yeah, you tapped out. Like that, That's a verbal submission. You don't just need to say tap or I give or something like that. If you, if you scream in pain, you, we're done. So he must not have said any, done any, you know, uh, sound even too far out of line because he, uh, he torqued on that and you could see it visibly. He adjusted, he torques it again. The second one wasn't as bad. Uh, There's kind of a misconception about heel hooks. Um, It's not, a lot of people think it's just the rotation. It's not really just the rotation. The rotation sucks. Don't get me wrong. Your knee is not meant to rotate. It's not meant to rotate. It's a hinge joint. It's meant to to go back and forth, not rotate. So it still sucks. But the damage comes when the guy applying the heel hook has control, has a, isolates the joint, isolates the leg, especially the knee and kind of the hip. Uh, Whenever you heal, if you hear uh, commentators on high level grappling exchanges talk about controlling the knee line, this is what they mean. Your legs have to kind of control the uh, the leg you're attacking. You have to lock it down so that when you twist the heel hook, the whole body doesn't move. Because if you just take your foot right now, stick it out and rotate it either inside or outside, doesn't really matter. You're not really, you know, you, you're not damaging yourself doing that. Partially because the whole of your your hip joint even is a little bit in on this, right? When you isolate that, which is the thing you have to be wary of, again, if somebody locks down around your quad to hold your knee in place when they twist the lower half, suddenly we're talking severe devastation. If there's no mobility there, moving just a little bit will (laughs) tear things that are not meant to be torn. Uh, So the second time Darius goes for the heel, he doesn't quite have the same... Lockdown on the knee line. The knee's a little bit fully straight out. Or the leg is. So it still sucks. Again, it still sucks. But it's not quite as uh, catastrophic usually as one that has everything locked down. The first one was a lot worse. And Darius says he heard the knee pop. Something popped big. And Tony just... Tony Ferguson is a maniac. Charles Oliveira darn near broke his arm with an armbar in their fight. One of the tightest armbars I've ever seen. Elbow clearly hyperextended. Like, the, the, that joint bends the way it is not supposed to go, and he just won't tap because he's crazy. Here, heel hook. On a knee he's already had surgically repaired. Uh, and, and just, nope, I don't care if I have to go through surgery and I'm out for, and I can't walk for another six months. I'm not giving this up. It's... You have, again, you have to be crazy. And sometimes the crazy is good. Just, but you have to be crazy. Uh, there's a couple of points that come out of this fight for me. Let's talk about Benil Daryush first. Another guy who's been in the trenches. Another guy who is just, again, trench to trench, no man's land charges <laughs> throughout his UFC career. Daryush has been in the UFC for a while. 
He debuted in 2014 when he beat Charlie Brenneman. <laughs> Charlie Brenneman. Sorry. I have uh, I have memories of Brenneman's brief run in the UFC. <laughs> it was funny. Uh, fights Ramsey Nijem after that, gets stopped. Uh, goes on a pretty decent run. Beats Anthony Rocco Martin, Diego Fajaya, Darren Cruikshank, Jim Miller, Michael Johnson. Gets submitted by Michael Chiesa. Bounces back. Knocks out James Vick. Beats Rashid Magomedov by decision. Steps up to Edson Barboza and heartbreaking. Gets flying need in the second round after winning pretty much everything up until that point. Goes to a majority draw with Evan Dunham. Then gets knocked out by Alexander Hernandez in 42 seconds. Guys, when we say lightweight is the deepest division in the world, think about something like this. Alexander Hernandez, a nobody, steps in on short notice, knocks out one of the best lightweights in the world. Since then, Doyuz goes on a, a really good winning streak. Beats Tiago Moises, taps out Drew Dober, taps out Frank Camacho, knocks out Dracar Close, beautiful knockout, knocks out Scott Holson with a spinning back fist, beats Diego Fajaya again in a great fight, and here beats Tony Ferguson. Again, that man debuted in 14. He's been he's been grinding through this division for jeez seven years. He debuted in what January? Yeah, January of 14. <laughs> oh man. Again, that guy's been in the trenches and he's had some ups and downs. But he's on a good winning streak, got the biggest win of his career. But even someone like that, somebody you've never heard of, can show up and beat them. Because lightweight. Uh, I don't know who he fights next. He said he wants a title eliminator. I Look, who could object to, you know, we mentioned Chandler and Gaethje. Would you complain about Daryush and Chandler or Daryush and Gaethje? There's no way to go wrong. <laughs> There just isn't. Uh, Daryush is definitely in the title picture. Yeah, 100%. If he's not, he should be. Um, let's talk for a minute about Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson, 37 years old. Now on a three-fight losing streak. And here's the kicker, I think. None of those have been especially close. He had one. He had one shining moment in the Gagey fight when he landed that uppercut, and it's not like he. It's not like he didn't hit Gagey at all for the rest of that fight. He did, but none of the uh, none of those rounds were close. The only thing that made the second round reasonably close was that knockdown. Other than that, that was Gagey's round. Gagey beat him, and I think even most of the judges gave him the, gave Gagey the second. I'd have to double check the official scorecards. You know, up until that fight was finished, not especially competitive. The Oliveira fight, not especially competitive. This fight, not not especially competitive. You know, the way Ferguson fights, I I always said I leaned towards Khabib in their theoretical matchup. Now, I, I I'm fully aware that when they were supposed to fight for the belt. Tony then is not quite the same as Tony now. I'll grant you that. But I think the stylistic problems that have been revealed, Khabib would have smashed him. 
It would have been... I don't feel... I feel fairly confident saying it probably... It would have been Khabib's toughest fight. Uh, I, I feel okay saying that because of how Tony fights. But I think Khabib would have hurt him. Um, real shame we never... You know, now that now that he's gone. Real shame we never got Khabib and Charles Oliveira, right? Heck of a fight. I mean, I, I'd pick Khabib, right? Heartbeat. Well, yeah, heartbeat. But that'd be a heck of a fight. <laughs> but to Tony, uh, at 37, Dean Thomas made an interesting point on the broadcast that at 37, some of the stuff that Tony used to do and get away with as not being technically the correct thing to do, but you could kind of get away with it. Uh, you can't, that bill comes due. That bill always comes due. And Ferguson's not as, I don't know, lifeless when he's fighting as other fighters when they get really old really fast. But the division has caught up to him a little bit in terms of the just kind of general level of competition. And he's gotten older. And that always ends badly. When, you, when those two things happen, and they happen to everybody, that always ends badly. Um, there's a slightly interesting statistic that I saw. Uh, Aaron Bronstetter put this out. The combined records of UFC fighters after losing to Justin Gagey is 4-15 and 15 with a no contest. If you extend that to include some fighters that beat him, we start including we have we include Eddie Alvarez. And Eddie Alvarez post fight with post Gagey fight, which again, he won first guy to beat Gagey. Uh let me look up. I need to look this up specifically. Hang on. So, Eddie Alvarez since then he gets stopped by Dustin Poirier, leaves the UFC, gets stopped by Timofey Nastyukin. Beats Edward Fulyang, has a DQ slash no contest with Yuri Lapisis in one, and then gets beaten by Okre Yoon. So, post beating Justin Gaethje, Eddie Alvarez is one and three with a no contest. And that's Eddie Alvarez. Again, and he won. <laughs> but. He's got one win since. Uh, look real fast. Um, so again, if we look at just to kind of bring this up, he Gagey debuts, beats Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson since that fight lost to Darren Elkins, won a split decision over Andre Feely, beat Artem Lobov, and then lost four in a row. So two wins since then. James Vick who was a ranked... Again, Justin Gage has fought nobody but ranked contenders. Uh, Vic never won another fight. Gagey knocks him out. Paul Felder beats him by decision. Hooker knocks him out. Nico Price knocks him out. He fights outside the UFC, gets TKO'd in the second round, and retires. Never won another fight. Edson Barboza who Gagey knocked out in, and we'll talk more about Barboza in a minute, went on to, he's, uh, Barboza's 2-2 two and two since then. I kind of thought he should have beat Felder. So, Barboza more or less turned out, came out okay. 
uh, following that loss. Uh, Cerrone? God, do we even want to talk about Cerrone? Yeah, Cerrone hasn't won a fight. He's been knocked out. He was stopped by McGregor, lost to Pettis, drew with Price, which got turned into a no contest, and then was stopped by Morono. And Tony, now. Tony hasn't won a fight since then. Justin Gaethje, win or lose when you fight that man, will take a piece of your soul. Like, you better you better understand. And whoever fights him next, anybody, understand. You get in there with that man, you are not the same when you come out. I mean, again, the only guy that seems to have come out on the right side of that was Dustin Poirier. And even Poirier suffered... Justin Gaethje tore Dustin uh, Gaethje tore Poirier's quad with leg kicks in that fight. I mean, again, even Poirier like that. He came out on the other side of it, but Poirier is extra, clearly extraordinary. And that that fight between Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje, I said it at the time, that could be a that could be a career-altering beating. He took so much damage. And it's not like he hadn't taken damage up until that point. Uh, I've I brought this up talking about Tony in the past. Tony Ferguson will have rough rounds. I mean, if we go back through his career very briefly. Okay, beats Nijem quickly, beats Riley pretty wide, beats Eve Edwards, loses to Michael Johnson. Johnson hit him a lot in that fight. Beats Mike Rio, beats up on Kakanoi Kakuno. Danny Castillo put damage on him. I don't object to the... I scored that fight for Ferguson, but Castillo got to him a little bit. Abel Trujillo got to him. Trujillo bombed on him a little bit. T-Bow, not so much. He, uh, he abused Josh Thompson, man. Carved him up like a Thanksgiving turkey. Edson Barboza beat... Barboza hit him a lot. Lando Venata almost finished him. Kevin Lee, that first round, good grief. Lee dropped hammers on him. Elbows just from hell. Pettis landed on... I think I gave Pettis the first round of their fight. Pettis landed on him. Uh, Cerrone? Okay, not so much. But Cerrone had a decent enough first round. It, The man has just kind of been able to persevere by having a good chin. And again, he is otherworldly tough. The beating Justin Gagey put on him... Would have fin the, that total amount of damage would have finished like three other fighters in aggregate, at least. The armbar that he survived in the Charles Oliveira fight. I, I think the only reason Oliveira didn't break his arm was the clock saved him, because another little bit and that thing's going. But man, just would not give up here. The heel hook would not give up. Just you can just wouldn't give it up. He is, again, otherworldly tough. But that bill always comes due. Always. And I I tend to think we're seeing it come due with Tony Ferguson. The damage he's taken, age, and the general rising level of the division have kind of caught up to him. And, yeah, it's, it's rough to see, man. I loved watching Tony fight. That big win streak of his, God, he was the, he was can't miss television. 
you could not miss a Tony Ferguson fight because you were going to see something. Spe- I, I missed the Dos Anjos fight. Dos Anjos hit him plenty in that fight. Lost, clearly, but he get, Dos Anjos got to him. Uh, yeah, the man was couldn't, can't miss television. Gr- turned in exceptional violence. But this is the cost of fighting that way. And it needs to be said out loud and it needs to be respected. Because that's what he sacrificed. And he had circumstances conspire against him. Sometimes purely coincidentally. Sometimes a little bit his own fault. Sometimes promotional. uh... The UFC, I think, I don't think this is controversial. The UFC went out of their way to accommodate Conor McGregor. You can argue whether or not that was right, but they did it. And Tony and Khabib both kind of got the shaft a little bit during that time period. Um, Khabib... uh, Khabib should have fought for the belt before he did. Uh, Straight up. But there were injuries, both to Khabib and again to Tony. They made... They tried to make Tony and Khabib five times or whatever. And both of them fell out for different reasons. You know, Tony, essentially through his own fault... Wearing sunglasses in a darkened... I bring this up. Wearing sunglasses inside is not the dumbest thing in the world. But if you've never been on, like, a TV set, the uh, the, the set where the cameras are pointing is brightly lit. Everything else is kept very dark. You really shouldn't wear sunglasses when you're in the dark part of a TV studio. <laughs> because it's very dark. And he you know, tripped over cabling and destroyed his knee. Uh... It's it's a it's a crying shame that Tony Ferguson never fought for the undisputed lightweight title because there was a period of time when he was incontestably either the uh, incontestably no worse than the second best lightweight in the world and for reasons some val some nefarious some happenstance some whatever it never happened. It's it's a shame. You know, it, it's a crying shame. But there's nothing there's nothing to be done about it at this point. He hasn't won a fight. You got to win at some point, man. You just do. Um I'm not I, I don't know. I don't know what to say uh about Tony's future. There's probably still lightweights he can beat. Um we have to wait and see how badly his knees damaged if at all by that uh, by the heel hook, because he might be out for another six months while he rehab, while he gets surgery and rehabs. Um, uh, we'll just have to wait and see. But the end is close. The end is very near for Tony Ferguson's time fighting, I think. And it will be a sad day when he does. But the end comes for everyone who fights. Uh, all right, that's a slightly dour note, but moving on. Uh, Joserio Bontarin defeated Matt Schnell via unanimous decision, 230-27-129-28. I don't have a whole lot for this one. Schnell kind of... Uh, Bontarin missed weight. Schnell kind of just fought at Bontarin's pace, and that let Bontarin hit a couple of big flurries throughout the course of a round and win rounds. Um, Caitlin Chukagian defeated Viviani Araujo via unanimous decision, 229-28-130-27. 30-27 here is a little bit bull. 
I thought uh, I actually scored it for Araujo. I thought she won rounds one and two. Every judge gave Chukagi in the second, which I don't agree with. Um, I mean, Chukagian gets the third, but uh, not a good fight. Your fight of the night kicked off the pay-per-view. Edson Barboza defeats Shane Burgers via knockout punches, 116 of the third. Um, these two just, they're hammers, man. And they hit each other until one of them fell over. Barboza had some really good leg kicks, but Burgos just ate them. Burgos was digging some hard body shots that seemed to be troubling Barboza a little bit. few leg kicks from Burgos. Barboza just had a bit more firepower, which ultimately proved to be the end of the fight. Barboza hit a 1-2. Weirdest finish I've ever seen. Burgos gets hit, and it eats it. Doesn't even really react. Goes back to kind of bouncing and slipping his head a little bit, and just like, okay, got hit, boom, all right, back here, we're still fighting, we're still fighting. Then as he's bouncing, his legs kind of don't go where they're supposed to. His hips start sinking down, and he backpedals into the fence. Drop, like, it was a weird delayed reaction. Um, great fight. Your fight of the night, deservedly so. Barboza at featherweight is a uh, someone to be taken seriously. I mean, he lost his featherweight debut in a split decision against Dan Ige that a lot of people thought he won. Scoring it live, I scored it for Ige, but I'm that fight came down to how you scored the second round, I think. And uh, I think it, I think when I rewatched it, I scored it for Barboza, but again, it comes down to how you score one round. That's just kind of the way that crumbles. But he's he's someone to pay attention to in that division. God, think about how crazy a fight with him and Max would be. Right? Edson Barboza, Max Holloway. Uh, Barboza's not in the title picture, and Max should fight no one but the champion next. After what he did to Calvin Cater. Good. That beating, man. That beating. Uh, anyway, that was your main card. Uh, solid enough stuff. Uh, you know, again, main event, delivered. Komei, not quite what you expected, but wasn't boring. Two boring fights and then the craziness of Barboza and Burgos, you know. Uh, as for the prelims, boy, a lot of guys are just kind of nearing the end on this card. Andre Muniz defeats Ronaldo Jacare Souza via technical submission, armbar 359 of the first. Andre Muniz broke Jacare's arm with this armbar. Muniz kind of jumps for the back. Um, gets a little bit too high, and as he's falling off, switches to the armbar. Souza gets a... I mean, look, Jacare's forgotten more about jiu-jitsu than I'll ever know. So the fact that he got a little bit wide with his arm is just a testament to the chaos of combat. Just got a little bit wide with his right arm. Muniz transitions to the armbar, and you can hear Jacare's arm break. And it breaks, not at the elbow, the uh, the humerus breaks. Again, audibly. It was audible in real time with commentary over it. They gave a replay with the commentary audio fi uh, not present. And yeah. Loud break. Um, immediately, you know, the ref heard it, saw it, stopped the fight. Breaking the humerus is hard. Like, that's not the hardest bone in the body to break. That's technically the femur. 
but that's not easy to do. Um, we have a we have a few updates from Jockery at this point. Yeah, the arm is the humerus is broken. Gonna have surgery to fix it. Um, you know, Jockery's a guy, another guy. Crying shame he never fought for the UFC middleweight title. Now, some of that was a couple of key losses along the way. Some of that was, quite honestly, favoritism in matchmaking. When Michael Bisbing won the belt, I said, Jacare's coming for that sucker. And then the UFC said, yeah, let's not put Jacare anywhere near the title. Uh, I maintain Michael Bisbing's time as the UFC middleweight champion is a speed bump and should not be considered and should like barely even be considered because he he got a fight with Dan Henderson for in a blatant cash grab that didn't even succeed as a cash grab then he fought GSP the middleweight division makes so much more sense if you go from Luke Rockhold to Robert Whitaker <laughs> it just does but Jacare never got got a shot at the belt i think he would have beaten Bisbing for the record. But he's 41. Assuming that's an accurate number. He might be older than that. And... This was... How many in a row was this for him? This is what, three in a row? Four. He hasn't won a fight since he beat Chris Weidman in 2018. Lost to Jack Hermanson. Lost to Jan Blahovich at light heavyweight. Got knocked out by Kevin Holland. Got his arm broken here. The end is pretty much here for Jacare. And that sucks, man. Again, I've I've been watching Jacare for the vast majority of his career. Uh, but again, it happens to happens to everybody. Uh Lando Venata defeated Mike Grundy via split decision. I wanna f- I gotta say this. The judging last night for this event was awful. There were some of the least defensible scorecards possible that came out of this. Venata wins by split decision. 29-28 for Venata, a 30-27 for Venata, and a 30-27 for Grundy. That is indefensible. That is straight up an indefensible scorecard. I think that was 30-27 Venata, personally. Uh, Fire that judge. Fire that judge. Jordan Wright defeated Jamie Pickett via TKO 104 of the first. Uh, Wright just got Pickett hurt with elbows along the fence, never let him recover. Andrea Lee defeated Antonina Shevchenko via triangle armbar 452 of the second. Uh, Andrea Lee had a triangle choke position for almost that entire round, but just couldn't quite find the right way to lock it up and finish it. Some of that's because Shevchenko was defending. Then with 10 seconds left, go. she kind of goes, screw it. Your arm's extended, grabs it, puts it behind the armpit, pops the hips, gets the tap. Um, Andrea Lee needed that win, man, pretty badly. Uh, on the early prelims, Priscilla Cachuea defeated Gina Mazzani via TKO 451 of the second. This fight sucked. Tucker Lutz defeated Kevin Aguilar via unanimous decision, 30-27 and then 229-28. Decent fight here. Lutz is legit. That's someone to pay attention to at Featherweight. And kicking everything off, Christos Yagos defeated Sean Soriano via Darce Choke, 59 seconds of the second round. Uh, Soriano had a great first round. 
Really slick on the feet, really smooth, finding openings. Second round, he takes kind of a bad shot. Yagos breaks his single leg with a modified kind of half. It's not a deep half Nelson in the amateur wrestling sense of a deep half, but more a deep half in uh, kind of the catch wrestling sense. Use that to break his single leg attempt, switch to the Dars choke, grab the leg as they went down. Really nice stuff from Yagos. Uh, put, uh, put him to sleep, some technical submission. Uh, yeah, good stuff from Yagos. And yeah, that was the card. That was UFC 262. Some brutality and some uh, some final chapters starting for some very prominent fighters. You hate to see it, but you know it's always coming. Uh, yeah, so thank you to everyone who followed along with my live coverage. Thank you to everyone who's read after the fact. I deeply appreciate all the support that you give me. Uh, all right, let us move on. Next, because we have another event this coming week. The UFC machine does not stop. UFC on ESPN plus 46. Uh, I'm going to be fairly brief on this one. The main event is a really good fight. Rob Font and Cody Garbrandt. Um, Garbrandt, I believe, is still mostly training with uh, Mark Henry. Garbrandt got a much-needed win his last fight. He was on a three-fight losing streak and was actually looking worse each time. You know, Gar Garbrandt's one of those guys, man. He had one of the most fantastic performances you will ever see when he won the title from Dominic Cruz. Just a remarkable performance. Technically brilliant. Uh, again, ju just a thing of beauty. Then he fights TJ Dillashaw. And in the first round of that fight, I Dillashaw had nothing for him. Couldn't find an entry, couldn't find an angle on his shifting, couldn't find something he liked, and got hurt at the end of that first round. Rebounds, uh, you know, recomposes himself and stops Garbrandt in the second. They rematch, the rematch goes worse, Dillashaw stops him in the first. He fights Pedro Munoz in a total gunfight for 4 minutes and 51 seconds before Munoz knocks him out. Uh, there was some behind-the-scenes stuff that played into this. Uh, the... Primarily Justin Buckholtz ending his affiliation with Team Alpha Male. Um, you know, Buckholtz has talked a little bit about this. Uh, he was... Uh, he, you can find him talking about it to be... If you want the details. Uh, Garbrandt finally kind of branched out from Team Alpha Male. Got Again, did some training with Mark Henry out of the East Coast Super Friends group. And rebounds to knock out Rafael Asensio with a beautiful buzzer-beater knockout last year. Uh, 459 of the second. Um, he needed that one. He kind of needs this one. Rob Font is... Rob Font's UFC record, he's only lost to three people in the UFC. John Lineker, Pedro Munoz, and Rafael Asensio. And he gave Asensio a pretty good fight. Uh, Font TKO'd Marlon Marais in his last fight. He's on a three-fight winning streak. Font is a very, very slick fighter. He's able to fight at different ranges. Got a really good jab. Um, will take you down if he can. Again, he's good everywhere. It's... It's not an easy fight. I... 
I don't know who to favor here, uh, as I think about it. Garbrandt is a very good... Garbrandt's a very good fighter when he's on. But when he loses his focus, right? When he gets in his own head, when he gets angry, you've still got to be good to beat him when he's angry, right? You've still got to be someone with a chin like Dillashaw or, uh, or Munoz or someone with that kind of destructive power. And you know, Font will hit you, Font will hurt you, but he's kind of an accumulation guy. He's not really a one-punch, one-finish uh, type of fighter. So how he, again, how they measure up in that respect is uh, is certainly an easy, is certainly an interesting question. Uh, I tend to think that the more technical it stays and the more it stays at at distance, the more it's going to favor Font. I think Font long range is probably a bit more than Garbrandt is really prepared to handle. Now, Garbrandt has a very good jab. He just doesn't use it. He likes to kind of shift forward uh, and you know, try to club you with punches. I'd be curious to see which of them winds up going for the, the grappling first. Because it's an area we don't see... I mean, Garbrandt we've seen scramble. Uh, he and he and Cruz, man, had some crazy scrambles when they tied up in the in the grappling. Uh, so, so we again we know the man can fight in that space, but it's not somewhere that he gets taken very often. Uh, we've seen Font, you know, fight on the ground. He'd rather fight standing, but I, I tend the more I think about it, the more I can tend to favor Garbrandt just a little bit. I think Garbrandt's punching power is a problem for Font. Font is not a fragile fighter. Let me be very clear about that. But he doesn't like a firefight. He needs he needs to be smooth. You know, he needs to be smooth and technical. And when he's not, or w when that starts getting away from him, that's where he struggles. Uh, I won't be shocked if Font wins. Let me be very. I want to be very clear about that. But uh, I I do kind of I do kind of favor Garbrandt as I think about it. Uh, it should be a heck of a fight. That's a very good fight. Hopefully it holds together. Cross your fingers. All right, the co-main event is the last thing I'm going to do, uh, devote any time to here. Um, Yan Shaonan and Carla Esparza. Uh, Yan Shaonan is on a very long winning streak. Um. I think it's a she, sorry a very long unbeaten streak. I believe it's eleven fights. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 11, twelve. Sorry, uh, so twelve fight unbeaten streak. That includes she is undefeated in the UFC. Uh, six fights in the UFC. They're all decisions, but she's beaten Kylan Curran, Viviani Pereja, Siri Kondo, Angela Hill, Karolina Kovalkiewicz, and Claudia Gadelia. That's a really good list of people to beat. Yan Shanon is no one to trifle with. And she's getting another step up. If she beats Carla Esparza, she will be due a title eliminator, if not a title shot. You, you kind of know that if if Zhang Weili had beaten Rose, and if Yan beats Esparza here, they would have done... They would have tried to go to China and do an all-Chinese 
title fight. Which would have been a cool thing, I suppose. Um, Esparza's kind of rebuilt herself. She's on a four-fight winning streak. Unfortunately, not only are they all decisions, some of them... Eh. Um, she fought Alexa Grosso to a majority decision that I thought was a draw. She fought Michelle Waters into a split decision that I thought she lost. And she fought Marino Rodriguez to a split decision that I also kind of thought... Kind of thought she lost. Nah, that was... That was a little bit less egregious, but kind of. Um, if Esparza wants a shot at the belt again, she is she is she was the inaugural strawweight champion. She doesn't just need a win here. She kind of needs a statement. I'm favoring Jan, uh, but it's a close fight on paper. I, I favor Jan, but eh, you know, what are you going to do? All right, we're going to go quick through the rest of these. For what should be very apparent reasons. Um, at heavyweight, Justin Taffa and Jared Vandera. I have no problem favoring Taffa, I suppose. Taffa's 1-2 and two in the UFC. Uh, Vandera, I think, is 0-1. I don't know. I, I don't care. Uh, women's featherweight, Felicia Spencer and uh, Norma Dumont. I, I feel okay picking Spencer here. Felicia Spencer's a... Her only losses professionally are to Cyborg and Amanda Nunes. And she took Amanda Nunes the distance. She took a beating every every inch of that fight, but uh, I, I feel like I feel okay picking her. Let's put it like that. Uh, let's see. Flyweight fight. David Dvorak will fight Harley and Paiva. Not a terrible fight. Um Pipe has been up and down in the UFC. Two and two on a two-fight winning streak. Missed weight his last time out. That ain't good. Uh, I'll pick Dvorak, but you know, that's a that's a pretty good fight. And the other fight, I suppose, that could be worth talking about, Jack Hermanson and Edmund Shabazian. Uh, Edmund Shabazian, coming off of the first loss of his career when he was beaten by Derek Brunson, Shabazian has a lot of tools. Unfortunately... Um, conditioning does not really seem to be one of them. He went the distance with Darren Stewart in his UFC debut. Won a split decision that he kind of eked out. The longer that fight went, the worse he looked. Has a bunch of first-round finishes, then fights Derek Brunson, where he is again stopped later, this time in the third round. Um, and Jack Hermanson is a durable dude. Not that he can't be stopped, but he's durable. Uh, he's a tough wrestler. He's a long, rangy guy. Um, I kind of like Hermanson. Uh, look, Edmund Shabazian seems to have a lot of the same traits. That the only people who have been successful under Edmund Tarverdian have been, have had. They're pretty good about getting you out of there early, and they're better natural fighters than they are coach fighters, because I. Look, I would love to sit here and make fun of Edmund as the worst coach in the world. We all know he's not. Um, he's he's not someone whose coaching, I think, benefits a tremendous amount of fighters. But I can't say he's the worst coach in the world. I can't even say he's the worst coach who's had people in the UFC. Because that would be distinctly untrue. But uh, he is... 
there are serious questions about how far he can take you as a fighter. I mean, I look, I've said this before. The best thing that ever happened to him was Ronda Rousey choosing his gym and not the one across the street. I, I think Ronda succeeded at the level she did, essentially in spite of Edmund, not because of him. Uh, for whatever value you want to give that particular sentiment. Whether or not you even think I'm right, you might think I'm wrong. And so be it if you do. But I, I'm picking Hermanson here to win that fight. Uh, and I don't feel especially... Uh, I don't have any problems picking him in to win this fight. You know, Let me just, just put it like that. Shabaz Shabazian might surprise some people. He is... Again, he, he has a lot of gifts. He very, very obviously has gifts. And if those are, if they are able to manifest themselves, he might be able to win this fight. Hermanson is not unbeatable, but it's a rough matchup. That's that's all I'm going to say. I think that's a rough matchup for Edmund. All right, on the prelims, Ricardo Hamos and Bill Algio. If you're okay picking Hamos, heavyweight, Ben Rothwell and Chris Barnett. Sure, Rothwell, who cares? Welterweight, Court McGee still hanging around, and Claudio Silva. Um, that might actually be a fun little fight. I got a soft spot for McGee. He's on a three-fight losing streak. He's probably done after this. And Claudio Silva, if he was able to maintain... If, he could, if that poor man could have kept a decent uh, career pace, could have maybe been a thing. Uh, he's coming off of his first loss in the UFC, his first loss in 14 fights. When he was defeated by James Krause. And so I'll, I'll pick Claudio Silva. Dude's nickname is Hannibal. You know what? What am I going to mock? the? I, I can't mock the guy too much for that. So, But that that could be a decent little fight. Uh, let's see. Bruno Gustavo De Silva against Victor Rodriguez at flyweight. Feel okay picking Bruno there. Josh Kulibau against Shaw Yulon at featherweight. Be, um, I'll pick Kulibau, but... Uh, could go either way. Oh, this could be a good one. Demir Hadzovic and Yancey Medeiros. Uh, that could be a good one. Um, Hadzovic, on a two-fight losing streak, he's had some really... That guy's had a rough go of it. He debuted against Merbek Tysimov, knocked out Marcin Held, fought Alon Patrik, beat Nick Hine, beat Marco Polo Reyes, uh, then fought Christos Yagos and Tanato Moicano. Uh, that's that's a pretty tough stretch. And Medeiros, on a three-fight losing streak, finished in two of those. I'm okay picking Hadzovic, but again, that, that's kind of a sneaky good fight. Uh, let's see, Rafael Alves and Demir Ismagulov. I'm okay picking Ismagulov there. I, Ismagulov's pretty legit. He's 3-0 and in the UFC, 19-1 and overall. Wins over, okay, Alex Georgies didn't really matter, but beat Joel Alvarez and Tiago Moises. Uh, pay attention to that, man. And Sarah Alpar and Lupita Godinez, yeah, they kind of like Godinez, I think, so that, I feel like they're kind of trying to set her up. Anyway, that is, yeah, that's your card right now. UFC on ESPN. Uh, UFC on ESPN Plus, rather, 46. I will have coverage in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania, so... Please do stop by, say hello if you're so inclined. I always appreciate the company and the support. All right, let's move on to a little bit more of the miscellaneous stuff. So, Oscar De La Hoya, in a series of Instagram posts this week, 
said that the UFC nixed a potential boxing bout between him and potential greatest of all time, two-weight world champion, George St. Pierre. Dana White, I believe, I believe this was confirmed, as someone kind of asked around. And I think various outlets have confirmed that Oscar is telling the truth. Which is something of a first, but he is. <laughs> um, I've got to say this. What a scumbag move. What an absolute scumbag move by the UFC. Uh, you know how much money George would have made for that fight? Just, I'm just going to throw this out there. He would have made more for that fight, and George has made a lot of money from the UFC. One of the few, one of the very few fighters who can who can say they have made a lot of money from the UFC. I would be pretty confident in saying he would make more for a boxing bout with Oscar De La Hoya than he would have for his past two UFC fights. Certainly more, he would certainly make more here than in the first 60% of his UFC career. Um, and because when you retire in the UFC, if you retire, you still retire under contract to the UFC. I don't know how no one has challenged that legally. I mean, let's be clear, I get kind of why it's there. You don't want a fighter to go, I retire a week later, I'm back, and now my previous contract was voided. That's There's way too much potential for abuse there. But it's, it just feels like we have not yet found the appropriate middle ground between you retire under contract and the UFC retains the right to be your sole promoter and nixer of any and all things combat sports related even years after you have been done fighting versus, uh, you know, again, a fighter being able to retire and unretire willy-nilly to just void a contract they don't like. That, that, it seems like there's some place in the middle that we could land here. Um, again, just, just kind of a scumbag thing to do. I mean, again, I kind of get why they did it. Look, if George went out there in a boxing bout to with, you know, 50-year-old Oscar Dillo, I don't think he's 50, he's 40, he's over, well north of 40, I want to say 48, and loses badly, and I tend to think he would, uh, maybe not badly, but I think he would lose, Boxing is a hyper-refined sport. And while George is an uber-athlete, and again, maybe the best mixed martial artist of all time, um, straight boxing is a different story. The UFC just doesn't want to look bad. I mean, here's the other thing, loosely related to this. You know, Dana White came out and blasted Triller this week, and, uh, and you know I will not loan a fighter out to them to go box... Uh, Jake Paul. Of course you're not going to do that, because there's a better-than-average chance whoever you send is going to get knocked out. Whoever you send over there is going to get the biggest payday of their career, in all probability, because Triller is wildly overpaying for things. Look, it was... you. Dana already looks like an idiot, because the man said, sure, I'll bet a million dollars that Ben Askren will beat Jake Paul in a boxing bout, and everyone laughed. And then as soon as Jake Paul got knocked out in a minute and a half or whatever it was, he, he said, no, I never made a bet. I've never made an illegal bet in my life. I, bull, first of all, bull. 
anyone who knows anything about Dana White knows he's a bit of a degenerate gambler. If he bet Snoop Dogg a million dollars on who was going to win that fight, uh, he probably paid. Now, that's an illegal bet because person-to-person betting is illegal given that the state gets no cut of it, and I, I don't want to get into that. I think it's stupid. But of course, he has to publicly come out and say, no, I've never made an illegal bet. It's a bold-faced lie, but it's a lie that he has to make. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he, He's, he's going to say what he's going to say. He's not going to let anyone under contract to him go over there. He's just not. Uh, even someone who has a better-than-average chance at beating you know, a Jake Paul, he's not going to let him go. He's, he's just not going to. So... Uh, it's it's just a thing, man, and I'm, I'm going to call it out on occasion when I see it, in no small part because you know the, the answer to this is the fighters getting together. That's the only thing that's going to fix anything. Uh, or, for some reason, if we get some serious top-down legislation, but I got to warn you guys about this, not just you, know, you, the fans, if there's any fighters listening. Um, the Ollie Act contributed in a very real way to the decline of boxing. If it was just grafted wholesale onto the sport of mixed martial arts, it would do a lot of the same. It would... And... uh, It's just really hard to get excited about all the problems that boxing has coming to mixed martial arts in that capacity. I would so much rather the fighters got together and either challenged their legal status to be recognized as employees instead of independent contractors, or got sunk, or got a collective bargaining agreement in place. That's, I tend to think that right now that's the, that would be the ideal situation. It's, and it's not going to happen because fighters are fighting. Here's, here's, the, here's kind of the fundamental reason why that can't happen. The UFC can always find someone else willing to do your job for less. Always. It does not matter at what point in the... You, you're curtain jerking. If you aren't happy with the pay, they will not sign you. They will sign the guy next to you for the same or less money, and he will do it. If you're fighting for the... If you're in the world title discussion... If you ask for more money than the UFC wants, Dana will come out and say, I don't know if John Jones wants to fight, while Derek Lewis publicly says, sure, I'll do that for whatever you're offering John Jones. Throw in a ham sandwich and you got a deal. That's not a knock at Derek Lewis or him being a heavyweight. That's a knock on just how little they value their time and their expertise economically. Someone will... You get two guys lined up for a title fight. One of them says, I want $1 million. The other one says, I will do it for 500000 and a ham sandwich. I will do it for 500000 and a ham sandwich. And then there's a third guy there going, how about two hundred grand?" And Dana only hits me in the face once behind the screens with no one. Like, it is lowest bidder. And for some reason, no one realizes this. Again, you want to fix it? Collective... I am... I'm not a big union guy. If we're, I mean, I recognize their value. I also recognize that unions have historically, in many respects, gone too far and have started 
terrorizing businesses and in some cases became every bit as exploitative as the uh, companies or uh, you know as the companies or corporations or in some cases industries that they were fighting against being exploited by like there's no good guy here in, in that sense but collective bargaining is one of the only ways to actually change this stuff that's incontestably true uh, undeniable fact based on all available evidence all right, let's get on to a little bit of matchmaking here. Um, UFC announced a few different fights this last week. Um, Islam Makachev will fight Tiago Moises, which is a really good fight and not one Islam Makachev should be taking. Islam Makachev should be fighting somebody kind of in the top 10 or nearer to the top 10, but I'm fairly certain... When presented the opportunity to fight Islam Makachev, everyone ranked above him said no. Makachev is a scary opponent. And no one wants... So he's fighting someone ranked below. Now, Tiago Moises is a very, very good fighter. Again, that's a heck of a fight. I'm not complaining about that fight in terms of the action it will bring. But... <sighs> Makachev is going to force someone's hand very, very soon about who he should be fighting higher up on the card. Uh, middleweight fight that got made, Derek Brunson and Darren Till. That's a perfectly good fight. Uh, it's a very relevant middleweight fight. If Derek Brunson wins that, he might be in the title picture. I mean, we've got Marvin Vittori. Uh, look, the big thing on the big knock on Brunson, as far as that goes, is if Adesanya beats Vittori, and I favor Adesanya in that fight, won't be too shocked if he does lose, but I favor him. Uh, the fact that he got knocked out in a round by Adesanya is a, it's kind of an albatross around his neck, but if he beats Till, that might be enough to force a rematch. Whereas Till, Till is still kind of looking for a big win at middleweight. I mean, he's, he's had, uh, wait, he beat Kelvin Gastelum. I think he won one more after that, but he, he's looking to kind of really figure out where he fits in that division. If he beats Derek Brunson, that's a pretty good indicator. Also at middleweight, uh, Jared Cannonier and Paulo Costa. That is a great fight. Uh, I don't think it's going to be quite as crazy as Yoel Romero and uh, Jared and Paulo Costa, but we're going to get a similar kind of fight, I think. Um, Jared Cannonier is a... That man is a marauder. He's a wild man. He, when he goes crazy eyes, he puts it on you. And, I, again, I, I can't say winner of that gets a title shot, but winner of that is probably very close. Uh, whichever one of them it is. I mean, some of that kind of depends on where middleweight shakes out over the next little bit, but very relevant fight for the middleweight division there. All right, and the last bit of news I wanted to touch on, uh, the heavyweight drama. UFC came out and said, we're trying to make John Jones versus Stipe Miocic. John said, I'm, John basically declined that publicly. I'm not fighting Stipe Miocic. The UFC's response was, well, then I guess Stipe will fight the winner of Derek Brunson and or the winner of Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis. How stupid is this? The, the biggest fight the UFC could make right now, if we're talking John Jones and Francis Ngannou for the heavyweight title, John Jones may be the greatest of all time uh, against the destroyer of men that is Francis Ngannou, who finally ascended to the heavyweight title, John's long-awaited move up to heavyweight, fighting to become a two-weight world champion, 
against a man who looked really great, who just stopped clean, your former most successful heavyweight champion of all time in Stipe. They both want it, and the UFC is just like, well, you won't do it for pennies on the dollar, so no. Like, it's... And again, here's Derek Lewis going, hey, I'll fight for half of what John Jones would fight for. And John Jones going, I, I don't want to fight Stipe, I want to fight for the belt. You'll see them going, well, how about we just shoehorn Stipe back into the title picture without a win in between getting knocked out by... This is so stupid. This is so stupid. (laughs) I I don't have words for this. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what John Jones' value to uh, the MMA space is outside of the UFC. Because the UFC's market share is so overbearing. But if they keep doing this, he might he might force the issue to get away from them sooner rather than later. And the UFC can, will do what they do when it comes to burying someone on their way out the door. But what I'm su- I know that fight's there. I know everyone wants it. Pay Francis, pay John, make the fight. But they're not going to. Instead, we're going to get Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou. And you know what? I hate to say this because I'm going to have to watch that fight and I'm going to cover it. But I hope it's every bit as bad as their first one. Just to, just to smear it in the faces of the UFC brass. You had the potential for a historic fight. You re-book, You booked a rematch for one of the very worst fights that has ever happened under the UFC banner. If you think I'm exaggerating, rewatch that fight. I remember it. It is awful. It is an awful, awful fight. Now, realistically, I don't think it's going to look like that first one. Neither man is the same guy now that they were then. But you're risking something pretty big. All for this... Uh, all to preserve your payout fighters 20% less than 20% technically annual of annual revenue. Ugh. It annoys me. It annoys me to no end. But that's the world we live in, folks, and there's nothing we can do about it. Alright, I think that's going to be everything, so let me check Twitter very briefly, and then if not, I will plug my stuff and then get out of here. Alright, nothing crazy in the MMA sphere is broken, so let's do plugs. Jeez, last week, I was busy. Um, with coverage, I covered WWE Raw on a pinch-hitting deal. Covered WWE, or not WWE, AEW's Dark Elevation event, per usual, which I do on Mondays. Uh, MLW is re-airing Underground episodes again while they gear up for their relaunch in July. I'm covering that on Wednesdays. Uh, Tuesday, there was a Damn You Hollywood for uh, Wrath of Man. Mark Radlich and I talked about that. The Jason Statham Guy Ritchie revenge crime thriller. Pretty good movie. I enjoyed it. So you can listen to our review of that. I participated in a TV party for the Disney Plus series Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I encourage you to listen to the show. It's about three hours. I think it's like bang on three hours. There's a lot of discussion between a bunch of different people. There were several of us on that panel. Uh, yeah, for the record, did not especially care for the show. Do you want my specific points? They are 
enumerate. They are listed out in podcast form for your listening pleasure, as well as counter-arguments from the other members of the panel. We have a good discussion. I was also part of a Damn You Hollywood for the Netflix film Woman in the Window, starring Amy Adams and a little bit of Gary Oldman. We, uh, Mark and I talked about that. Not a terribly memorable movie, but we, you know, we hash it out the best we can. Uh, let's see. This coming week, there's a Damn You Hollywood for Spiral, which had a very poor opening, all things considered. Uh, but we will be reviewing it. And uh, what's the other stuff coming up this week? Uh, okay. Um, Spiral, there will be... Uh, on the 20th, I will be do- taking part in a TV party for the Netflix show Jupiter's Legacy. Which should be a lot of fun. And Friday will be there will be a damn you Hollywood for the Netflix movie Army of the Dead. Zach's, the latest dr- feature from director Zack Snyder. Primarily starring Dave Bautista. So be on the lookout for all of that. Uh... And then I will be back here next week to review UFC on ESPN Plus 42 and preview UFC on ESPN Plus, excuse me, 46, because we'll be previewing UFC on ESPN Plus 47, which does not have a main event yet. Huh. Um, there's a couple of fights it could be. Could be Amanda Hebus and Angela Hill. Could be... But this is not a good card. Holy crap. Um, Miguel... Okay, there's a couple of decent fights. Miguel Baezia and Santiago Ponzinibbio could be some real fire. Um, okay, that's kind of it. <laughs> uh, Mach 1 Amir Khani and Nate Landwer ought to be suitably crazy. There's a lot of heavyweights on that card. Like, three, four... Maybe just three. Maybe only two, but boy, do they... No, there's three. Okay. Yeesh. Those are not good heavyweight fights either. Well, hopefully we'll get a main event between now and next week when I have to preview this, but... uh, We'll have a full preview of it, whatever it looks like next week. And, again, we will be covering events and whatever the news happens to bring our way in the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Until next time, thank you all very much. Stay safe out there per usual, and please remember to be well, be safe, and behave.